Okay, we come to that moment in time where we ask ourselves, how has the Lord been speaking? What have you seen? What have you heard? What have you saw in the Word? Um, I had a couple of interesting experiences this week myself. I felt like the Holy Spirit was uh, nudging me to share, so I have one or two things I'd like to share. They're both brief, if I do share them both. But how about you? What have you seen or heard this week, Arjun? Got a video?
ceiling, feeling good, we gon' make it to the finish. Sweet victory! You hear me? I live if you feel me. We still running even though we limping. Sweet victory! Cause we winning. Yeah, you know we winning. Even though we winning, we still living. Sweet victory! Cause we winning. Yeah, you know we winning, now we living. Sweet victory! Yeah! They like, I hear you talk the wins, but I see your losses. Celebrating crowns, but I see the crosses. That's the paradox, they don't think they your merit backs. You might not understand that you out here is pair of sacks. The victory ain't the one that's winning, seventh inning. Trophies don't go to the ones that got a good beginning. When I say I win, I'm gonna say I'm in. I mean that day when grace, I say that then. I'm gonna bring with me. Everybody thought was his greatest loss. He actually won. It's pretty cool. Anybody else? 
I'll share one briefly. Um, it may be kind of, they may tie together. Uh, this morning, actually, I was leaving for church, and um, if I mess up my bug anatomy, I'm sorry, but there was a, um, a cicada, is that what it's called? And we're the ones where they shed their skin and they leave the skin on the tree? That's a cicada, yeah. So I noticed on the tire of Dory, which is what we call the little white van for the live station, and on the tire of Dory was a cicada shell. And attached to the cicada shell, hanging down from it, was a cicada. The actual green, fresh, brand new. But he was just stuck a little bit still inside the shell. And he was dead. He didn't make it. I, the first I saw it, I'm like, oh, I've never in all my life have I ever seen a cicada actually living in a shell. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to look at that. And then I realized it was dead. And it didn't make it. It was still partly stuck inside the shell. And I thought, well, that's, that's terrible. You know, I mean, not that I'm a huge fan of skaters or anything, I don't kind of care less, really, but God's creature or whatever, and I thought, that's terrible. And the Holy Spirit said to me, yeah, Christians are like that sometimes. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd. What does, what does that mean exactly? And I felt like God was saying that sometimes Christians, or would-be Christians, don't quite make it. They start the transformations, they, they maybe say the right words, they get a cursory belief in their heart. They start thinking, yeah, I think this is true, and I think I could live accordingly. But they never really kind of just give it over. They never surrender to God. They never let God do what God wants to do. And so they never kind of, they quite, never quite make it out of that old shell. And what was painful about that was I realized that if, you, if that, that bug didn't make it out of its old shell, and it killed that bug, the result was death. You have to come out. You have to come clear. You have to surrender completely. You have to divorce yourself from that old shell and say all old things have passed away. All, all things have become new. Or otherwise, you're stuck with a little bit. Just, and just a little bit of you stuck in that old shell will kill you. Not, it'll kill you eternally. It'll kill you for life because there's a lot of people that really kind of struggle with that. And they go back and forth and back and forth with part of them stuck in that old them. And, and rather than just surrendering that and letting God be in charge. Um, I don't remember if you, I don't know if you remember or not, but last week, and this is the other one, transitioning and how they connect. Last week during my sermon, I read from a psalm, I'm sorry, from Isaiah. And Isaiah was speaking on behalf of God, and he was talking about how uh, people get weary sometimes, and they don't do what they're supposed to do, and then God says, you know, you did a lot of right things. You did a lot of right things. And I'll, and I'll recount those for you. And he said, but they're not going to do you any good. Um, he said, why don't you call out to your idols and see, when you're really in trouble, call out to your idols and see if they'll help. So uh, yesterday, uh, I took the delivery to Ashland, and we were uh, at the Life Station. And if you're one of those people that's willing to potentially volunteer to help deliver whenever you have time at the Life Station, that time is coming. <laughs> Because we are we're uh, we're now at the lower staffing level, and there's going to be lots of needs for people to have emergency groceries delivered. So if you're one of those people that said, "Call me when you need me," I'll probably be calling. But anyway, um, so I took the delivery. And I had 25 deliveries, and 23 of them were people come downstairs, and they got these little grocery carts from every grocery store, from Dollar General and everything else. They bring their carts, and they're around, like floating around inside the building. They'll bring it out, and then load the groceries in their cart, and then they take it back in. But two of them are people whose health is so bad they can't come down. And so one of them was in apartment 200 and something. I'm not going to show you the actual address. I suppose that would be tactless. But anyway, 200 and something. And one of them was in 800 and something. 
so I, I got these two bags of groceries. Each one weighs about, I don't know, it's like 15 pounds. Something. I had the milk in there, about 15 pounds or so. And that's not that big of a deal. And, then I'm, and, then, and I walk up to the elevator. There's two people already waiting for the elevator. I said, did somebody push the button for the elevator? And uh, they did. They had, and we're waiting for the elevator to come down. And we're waiting, and we're waiting. And there was a little ledge there. And I'm like, I'm, I, by that time, my arms were about ready to give out. So I set the groceries on the little ledge. I'm holding them. And the elevator came. We all get in the elevator. And we're all wearing our masks. It's kind of small. It's like six foot by eight foot elevator. And, we, and I ride up to the second floor. And I get out. And I go to the apartment. And first, I went to the wrong apartment because I combined the two numbers in my head. So I'm, and then the lady said, no, that's not my apartment. So then I went to the right apartment, and I dropped the groceries off. And right next to the, there was, like, literally five feet away was the door for the stairs. So I got the 15-pound bag of groceries, and I'm thinking to myself, I can go back and wait for the elevator, and we see how well that went the first time because I waited for, like, five minutes for the elevator to come down to the first floor. And I said, or I just, just six stories, just six stories. And I'll go up six stories in the stairwell, and then I'll drop it off, and then maybe I'll take the elevator back down if I'm tired, or maybe I'll take the stairs. It's just six stories. It was only five feet to the door, but it was like back in the middle of the building, 100 feet back for the elevator, plus waiting. And y'all know me by now, I think, probably. Waiting is not really my thing. Okay, I'm not, I've never been a big waiter. I, I, I developed a little bit of waiting after I became a Christian, but I'm not big with So I decided to walk the six stories carrying a 15-pound bag, which I've already carried for a while, and I hit the, the stairwell, and it was like 95 degrees in the stairwell. And so I, I'm carrying a bag, and I start up, and I'm on floor three, and I'm like, this is no problem. On a floor four, this is no problem. On a floor five, this is no problem. Six, starting to get to be a problem. Seven, I actually debated with myself on the seventh floor about going down and taking the elevator to the eighth floor because I'm huffing and puffing. I'm wearing a mask which is kind of silly because I'm in that stairwell by myself, but I just didn't think about taking it off until I got to the seventh floor. And I'm carrying this bag, and, and I'm going, oh, man, I'm exhausted. I thought, I'll go back to the elevator and take it up there. No, that's just stupid. I'm going to walk all the way down there. So I got up to the eighth floor, and the lady was really grateful to receive her groceries. And I'm so ready to rent these groceries. Like, she opened her door, or the guy, it was a guy there, and he opened the door. And the kitchen's, like, right there, and I'm going to set the groceries down in the kitchen. And she's like, no, bring them in here. Set them down in here because she has a health condition. She can't get up out of her bed. So I brought him down and set him on the bed in front of her. She starts going through the bag. She's like, ooh, yeah, you know, all the groceries. And I, I'm leaving them. My arms are burning. And her door was like 10 feet from the elevator. <laughs> so she's like right next to the elevator. So I go walk from the elevator. And I push the button. And the elevator was on that floor. And I get in the elevator. And I go down. I'm riding down by myself. Nobody's in there. I'm not wearing my mask. And I get down. I go outside. And by the time I'm down the bottom of the elevator, I'm feeling better. And the Lord said to me, Sometimes our weaknesses, our frustrations, our not wanting to wait. We talk about, like, like ours just talk about the car taking hits. Sometimes we are programming those hits ourselves. We're going, I don't want to wait for the elevator. And, I, and, and you could say, well, it would have taken longer. Yeah, it would have, whatever. But we're programming those hits for ourselves. We're causing them ourselves. And then we're crying out to God and going, oh, God, I'm tired. Oh, God, I'm hurting, you know, or whatever. Please help me. Lift me up out of this mess. And we ought to probably use that I've made for myself, you know. But anyway, then when I went and did take the elevator down, I literally, like, it, it took me as long to get the elevator and get to the bottom floor as it did to walk, like, one flight of steps. And I walked six in 95 degrees and wearing my mask because I forgot to take my mask off, which is sort of like, if I'd done that, that would have made it a lot better, too. So I just felt like God was saying, sometimes we're making those things for ourselves. And if you want to do that, God's cool with that. 
you can do that. All things are okay. You can make your own frustration, make your own difficulties, beat yourself up. And if you're truly living for the Lord and following the Holy Spirit, sometimes you're still going to do that because you got your flesh right alongside you, and he's going to help take care of it, and that's fine. But if you're not living for the Lord and you're making your own problems, where does your sustenance come from? Where does your salvation come from? Where does your solution to the problem come from? And the answer is, there isn't one. So, going back to my sermon from last week, I think if you're frustrated, if you're tired, if you're worked up, if you're overworked, if you're causing those problems, some of, the pro some of your problems yourself, and I think frustration, anger, those kind of things that there really are, we're supposed to let that go. That's our, go our goal is to let that go. And I think those things are just really kind of holding us down and, uh, and tiring us out. And if you're following the Lord and still experiencing those things, then God will bring you out of them. But if you're not following the Lord and experiencing those things, then you have no solution, no salvation. There really is no, you call out, cry out to God, and then God's going to say, oh, well, let your anger save you. Let your frustration save you. Let your best plan that's been your, all along, you've been trying to work your best plan instead of working my plan, let that save you. Because those are idols, right? So I thought that was interesting. Does anyone else have another one? And then otherwise we'll uh, call somebody to pray and move on to offerings and worship. All right, Brother Tony Tate. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Okay, that's our book for the week. Moses said, uh, it says, Moses was given the law, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Um, even he wrote down through the Lord the miracle signs and wonders. I just read the other Deuteronomy. He was, a, he was the, the prophet of Israel. Imagine that, you know, he had to write that down himself to say all this. But he said, because of the Lord, but regardless, just to say, yeah, you're going to put this down. You know, he wrote that down. And he was given the law. You know, the most, I would say, not saying the holiest righteous man, but the man who was face to face with God that truly wanted to know who God was. Grace the truth came through Jesus Christ. And so, you know, I just look at that parallel, you know, in our best days, in our best life, we're just giving the law. You know, like, here's a, a good standard to live by, here's a good standard to, to try to live, you know, yeah, accordingly. But through Jesus Christ, it's grace and truth. And so if we live it our way, then we're just going to be given the law. Which at first was okay, the law, law did kill our flesh, but the law was God's standard. But grace and truth comes through Christ Jesus. And so for me, you know, watching it, you know, sweet victory, you know, I was just thinking about, and I hope that's his foundation, you know, even though it's a sweet victory that he reminds us of every day that sweet victory has in Christ Jesus. So my question to you and me is, you know, where is your foundation? You know, and my foundation, you know, I was just sharing it yesterday. I talked to a man that... He said he owned a million dollar company. And you know what's on his toothpaste? You know they're making stuff up. This guy was not making stuff up. And he lost everything. He's a copyright for now. But he said, I would rather serve Christ Jesus than have that million dollar company. He said, when I had a million dollar company, all the stuff that I did or did wrong to others, he said, is in no comparison to the relationship we have with Christ Jesus now. This guy has not looked back ever since. I mean, because he found his foundation was in Christ Jesus, and hopefully she's going to be here, but she wasn't. So because you chance, pray for Candy and her family. She's looking for a good church, and I recommend this one. And I don't recommend any other ones until I actually see them. But, um, but the idea is, you know, is that, you know, I'm just asking you today, I'm asking before, where is your foundation? 
My foundation used to be, I remember years ago when I was 25, I said this. I said, you know, I can't do this, but you can. I can't. I cried. I remember saying, I can't do this, but you can. Do this in me. And I was my foundation 25. Then around 30, my foundation was, is, you know, like, it was more of like, okay, Lord, you know, I'm starting to get to know you more. I really need to trust you. And now today, my foundation really is, God, you're the Lord of this life, you're the Lord of this earth. It, it, I, I'm no longer going to act like, you know, I can take the wheel, drive this thing, got this thing. God, yeah, you need to be the Lord of it, or I'm not letting you be the Lord of anything. And that's really just my foundation now. So what is your foundation? Because if things come shaking, things come knocking, you can't knock down your foundation. It can only knock down what, you know, is built up on our own. Brother Tim Mitchell, would you pray for us as we transition to tithes and offerings on the world worship? Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for setting up this time with Christ and the family. And I'm very thankful to serve you. Just ask that you continue to strengthen us
drives me absolutely crazy. Always has. I'm 50 years old, and before I became a Christian, and even since I've been a Christian, it drives me absolutely crazy when it appears to me that the outcome is predetermined. Now, I, I'm not talking about matters of faith or spirituality, obviously. I'm talking about you know, life in general. Like When I think people say, uh, for example, uh, if some, somebody asks you, do you want this or do you want that? But they really know they only have one of them, and they're just hoping you're going to choose that one that they have. And if you choose the one they don't have, then they say, well, we actually don't have that. We only have the other one. Or um, when I was at uh, Bowling Green State University as a freshman in 1989, um, yeah, January of 1989, uh, I began there as a freshman. I really wanted to be a journalist. It had always kind of been my dream, and I thought that was what I wanted to do. They have a pretty expansive program there, or did back then. And uh, they had a special meeting, actually, in the second semester, which would have been the fall of 89 for me. And they said, um, we want you to know that right now there are way too many journalism people, and we're going to cut this down to this number by uh, a year from now. And then they, and first of all, I didn't go to the meeting, and, and I'm, just, I'm just being transparent here. I didn't go because they said it was mandatory. They said everybody had to go. If you were a journalism student, you had to go. So that was exactly why I didn't go, because I was a rebel, and I hated when, you know, when I felt trapped, when I had to do certain things, and they told me I actually had to be there. I'm like, well, you know what? It's a meeting at 6.30 p.m. I don't have any classes at that time. I'm a, I drive in 22 miles. 21 miles, whatever it was from my driveway to BG, and I'm like, I don't gotta go because I just don't want to go. What if I had to work? I didn't have to work. What if I had to work or something? They can say it's mandatory if they want, but I'm just not gonna go. So one of my friends told me what the meeting was about, and I got the handout that they had given out, and they said, We're gonna cut you down from the number of people now that are journalism majors to this number. It was like from 1,200 to 120. It was a ridiculous. Like 90% of the journalism majors, journalism majors were gonna have to declare a different major within a year. And I was like, I'm not declaring a different major. I refuse. So you tell me that I have to declare a different major. I refuse to do it. And then I took two English courses, and they made them really, really hard courses to weed out. For the one course, we had to write a 12-page full-length paper with bibliography and all the special you know, footnotes done just perfectly and everything like that every two weeks. And it was an on-campus class, Monday, Wednesday, uh, and Fridays, back in the day when we used to have Friday classes down there, and Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I had to go at like 10 o'clock in the morning and sit in class for a little over an hour, and you had to, and most of the time we were just working on those papers. So just bringing myself to drive down there just to work on the paper, which I easily could have done at home, was just like terrible. And then I, but I made it through, and I got a good, a good enough grade to continue as a journalism student. And then the next semester, I had, they said, you have to get an A in this class, or otherwise you can't be a journalism student. And going into the final exam, I had a B plus. I was about a couple percent off. And I went to talk to the professor, and I said, well, if I get an A in the final exam, will I get an A in the class? Uh, and he said, yeah, if, even if you got like a really low A or whatever, because of the way it's weighted, you, you would get an A in the class. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna be one of those 120 journalism students. And then the grade came in, and I got an A, solid A, I think, or a high A minus. On the, it was like 94%, something like that, on the exam. Uh, which was a written paper that we had to write on the spot in an hour and 45 minutes, like 12-page uh, essay, basically. And I got like 94% on it, and my grade came back as a B instead of an A. 
And then I went to the professor, and I, would, I was going to go to his office and say, hey, you said I would get an A, and there were like 15 people lined up, and we've already had this discussion once a day about how I hate to wait, and so I just walked away, and I said, I'll try to come back another time, and I never did, and lo and behold, I was kicked out of the journalism program, and I'm telling you, it was predetermined. They were going to get rid of 90% of the journalism students, and I, sometimes I hate that, and I rebel against that. Um, somebody tells me it's just got to be this way, I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know, never, well, don't say never. Always, ah, you know, that's a red flag for me. If, it's, if it just absolutely has to be that way, then I always have a pro I kind of have a problem with that. We're going to talk about a couple of things that are like that, uh, let's say, concerning the kingdom of God today. Uh, the, term, the sermon title is uh, Three Butts to a Seat. And that's exactly what we've got. Three butts to a seat in the kingdom of God. But you'll notice there's only one T in the word butts in that, not two. It's not this kind of butt, but it's kind of fun to say. Three butts to a seat. But grab your Bible, if you would. We're going to go to a fairly classically quoted passage of Scripture that really um, only Christians could ever love. And it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Say amen. Amen. Give me a hoot, a holler. Come on. Don't let that mask hold you back. 1 Corinthians. Just four verses. Just four verses. Now, we use a bunch of other texts. And so if you're, a, if you're like me and you're a Bible flipper, then you'll be ready and you'll try to flip along and, and we'll look at a few different things. Um, before we're through, but we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. And here we go. Okay? Uh, let me set the context real quick. Alright? I think it's 2 Corinthians. I apologize. <laughs> One second here. Second Corinthians. I'm having a reference issue today. That was a good one, though. That is a good one. <laughs> I had my reference wrong. The first Corinthians six eleven. Eleven. That's what's on there. Have a look. Yes. Okay, now we got it. Okay, First Corinthians 6, begin, let me set the context. It is in 6.9. I had the right reference. I don't know what I was looking at when I messed up. All right, just to, we won't cut that one out of the live video. So if you're with me today, give me a little, one of those little clappy symbols on Facebook for, for screwing up and having my reference wrong in my head. All right, First Corinthians 6.9. Basically what he's talking about, what he's been talking about, is how the people in the church in Corinth have been fighting with each other over things, and they literally would go to lawsuit against each other. There was nobody in the church to decide the disagreements, and so they would then go to lawsuit against each other. Which then, in verse, let's say, 5, it says, I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren, but brothers go to law with one another, and that before unbelievers? Actually, then, it's already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another so he's saying, you're going to lose no matter what at that point. You've already lost, essentially, when you have to do that. Why not rather be wronged? Wouldn't it be better if you just give whatever it is the person's going to sue you for, just give it to them? Or if, if, they're, if you're suing them for something, wouldn't you be better off to just say, oh, forget it? You'd be better, better off to be wronged. He says, why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. So there are amongst them people, and probably both sides, that are defrauding or hurting the other person, they can go to law over it, right? Now we're in nine. Notice the transition. He's still on the same topic. 
don't be confused by that. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And so he's talking about being unrighteous toward brothers or sisters in Christ, right? And he says um, that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is that person, place, or thing in which God reigns. We kind of get that. Ultimately, there will only be the kingdom of God and hell in the long run. There's going to be the new heaven, the new earth, and you either get the kingdom of God then, or you go to hell for eternity. So it's a pretty big deal not to inherit the kingdom of God. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, those are people misusing sex, neither nor idolaters, those are people who are making other things important like God or on the sort of like making them, uh, declaring their worth in their life, whatever, you can have an idol, make it just, not just about anything, although they certainly would have been thinking even of Christians making an image of God. So you made a little statue of Jesus and then that becomes your thing. When I was a young believer, I made an idol out of the cross that I wore every day. And then I lost it one day, and I felt terrified all day. Something bad was going to happen to me. And then when I found the cross later that day, I realized what I had done. So you can make an idol out of anything, right? And he says, he's saying idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God, nor adulterers. Adulterers are those who use sex or, or even who lust outside of the proper marriage relationship. Nor effeminate, rough word here, but it basically means men who are kind of pretending to be women or, men, or women who are kind of pretending to be men. And they may have anatomy that sets them up for that, but if they follow that line, that's what this says. And he's lumping them in with the unrighteous, nor homosexuals, and we understand what that means, practicing homosexuals, nor thieves, those who steal. <clears throat> I submit to you that sometimes we steal by trickery rather than by actually physically taking somebody's stuff. There's a lot of different ways to steal. Nor the covetous, those who are people, those are people who want other things that other people have. They're, they go, I want that car, I want that man's wife, she's hotter than my wife, I, I want that house, whatever, and they, they start thinking about how they can get it. And as soon as you covet, as soon as you desire it, he lumps you in with the unrighteous and you will not see the kingdom of God. Nor drunkards, those are people who drink, drink or let's just say partake of any chemical to the point that they're beginning to lose control. Right? So they're out of control due to what chemicals that they're taking in, specifically imbibing if it's literally drinking. Nor revilers. Those are people who are disrespectful, and especially if they're disrespectful to God, but they're disrespectful to anything that ought to have respect. They're, they're, they're disrespectful. Nor swindlers. These are tricksters. They're, they're um, working the system somehow or other. None of them shall inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. So, in other words, when you read those, understand very clearly that a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, cannot be any of those things. So we may do something like that, but if you do something like that, when you steal, you become a thief. But if you are truly a Christian, when you steal, you will not become a thief, because you will fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you will, need, you will find yourself in need of repentance, in need of confession, and you will turn back to God. But if you are not a Christian, and you would behave in any of these activities, he says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? As you gain that identity. So this is a question of identity. All those were written in the text where they're, that's the identity, right? So it's not, he didn't say those who steal will not inherit the kingdom of God. He said those who are thieves. And I understand when you steal, you become a thief. But the Christian has another kind of identity. Okay? So bear that in mind as we just go a little further. And then he says, and such were some of you. Man, that's the whole statement right there. And such, in other words, like that, 
were, past tense, some of you, some of us. And if I went around the room right now and I said, uh, who of you in the past has been a thief? And I ho I'm hoping I'm not alone in this, but if you say, who of you in the past has been a thief? I can raise my hand. I have been a thief. I have even stolen as a young Christian, not, not recently as far as I know, but I have even stolen after becoming a Christian. I didn't become a thief again. I remember my experience. I went, oh, 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 I shouldn't have done that. And I went right to the Lord, and he forgave me and cleansed me of all unrighteousness. That's another message. But the bottom line is, he says, some of you were thieves. How many of you as a non-Christian, perhaps, before you became a Christian, would say that you were an idolater? You had something that you put up there. Right? That's me. I'll put my hand up. Absolutely. And so if this statement that he just wrote, that Paul just wrote to the Corinthians is true, some of us were those things previously. But you can't be now. You can't be those things now. So you automatically, ought to, some, there ought to be some response. You cannot be those things any longer if you are in line to inherit the kingdom of God because it's a contradiction. I don't want to get ahead of myself. It says, and such were some of you. So to say, some of you were idolaters, some of you were adulterers, some of you were effeminate, maybe, some of you were homosexuals, maybe, some of you were thieves, maybe, some of you were covetous, some of you were drunkards. It's a pretty broad list. Other places, the list repeats, and it's not quite as broad. Okay. Although I submit to you that when you throw things in there like swindler, that's a, that makes the list really, really broad. Because that could be somebody who's trying to get the rights of Christianity or trying to be held in esteem in Christianity, pretending to be a Christian, when in reality they know they're something else. Okay, So that does make the list pretty broad to cover almost everybody. And, and those people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed. Okay, I'm going to come back to these in a second, but I want you to see the, this is the three buts. But you were washed, number one but. But you were sanctified, number two but. But you were justified, number three but, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Okay? And so let's hit the latter part first, and then we'll come back and look at the other three, the three buts real quick. All right? First thing is, it's in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but by me. I was witnessing with a man once, and I was talking to him, and I said, Jesus said that. And he said, well, yeah, that is something he would say, isn't it? If he were not real and he were a swindler, he were trying to trick everybody, that's the kind of thing he would say. And I said, well, yeah, well, let's back up a minute. Because, first of all, there's some debate as to whether it would be the kind of thing he would say, but he didn't just say it. He sort of proved it with his life. Look at what he did. Look at who he was. Look at the way it happened. He died and then rose again. And then we got to the meat of the matter, which was that he didn't believe that the, that the Christ, Jesus, had risen again. And we talked about the evidence for, as a, evidences for the resurrection. And then he came to believe in the resurrection. And then I said, and then Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but by me. And he said, well, now that makes sense. Because if he was resurrected, that is a statement that directly lines up with his resurrection. Because if he's the only one who can be resurrected, he's the only one who can resurrect anybody. Right? That makes sense. And then he was able to accept John 14, 6 in that. Jesus is the only way. And if you have not been these three butts in Jesus, then you have not been these three butts, period. Right? If these things did not happen in Jesus, then they did not happen. You can convince yourself. But the truth is, if they didn't happen in Jesus, they didn't happen. And then it says, and in the Spirit of our God, capital, Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit of God, who is God. Right? If Jesus is God in the flesh, the Holy Spirit, in some sense, is, in our knowledge anyway, God in the spirit, 
right? But there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Trinity is all one being. He is one God. And as he is one God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit cooperated, cooperated according to what Paul has written here, to do something. And it's a three-part something that he has done. Paul says these types of people, and he gives this list, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is the first of our predetermines today. And I chafe against it. Even as a Christian, I chafe against it. I know some people who are some of these things, and the truth is they're pretty nice people, pretty good people, seem like pretty good people on the surface. I know a man who donates about 50 or so hours a week of his time to a Baptist center. It's not in Toledo, but he donates about 50 hours of his week of his time. Uh, he's disabled. He has COPD, uh, fought uh, some kind of cancer, I don't remember what it was, but it really screwed him up. And he donates about 50 hours a week of his time at a Baptist center. In fact, I've worked alongside of him just one day, but I've worked alongside of him. And he's a nice guy. But he happens to be a practicing homosexual. Now, I'm just going to be frank with you for a moment, if I may. Or I guess I'll be Pastor Dan, because I'm pretty much always French. Um... Some of you aren't that nice. Sometimes I'm not that nice. To give all my time? And he's loving and kind to everybody he meets. Never has a cross word. Now, if you really challenged him about his homosexuality, he'd probably get pretty bitter pretty fast. He might have a lot to say then. I don't know. But basically, he's a pretty nice guy. My friend I just shared with you didn't believe in the resurrection and therefore challenged John 14, 6 as a statement of Jesus. and says, well, that is the kind of thing he would say, wouldn't he? That friend, at that time, he was an atheist. He probably, he might watch this stream, and if he does, he's going to know I'm talking about him. But I'm not, I'm not using his name. But anyway, at that time, he was an atheist. And yet, he was a very nice guy. He showed up when my car broke down. He provided food and finances for my house at different times when they were when, when we had needs. When I was a young Christian, and even before I was a Christian. He offered for me, and occasionally I stayed at his house a number of times when I needed a place to stay. With my family and my kids, even though he's not a big fan of kids. Never has been. A little better in the last ten years or so. But nice guy. Bent over backwards, spent lots of money. Made a high volume, high dollar loan to somebody that I know and charge them no interest because they needed it in the tens of thousands of dollars. You understand? This is a nice guy who's not a Christian. And to say that he will not, or was not at that time a Christian, to say that he would not inherit the kingdom of God, I chafe against that. That God has predetermined that some very nice people, people that you'd walk up to and you'd say, hey, this is a good guy, that they're going to go to hell and burn in hell for eternity, I chafe against that. I have a problem with that predetermined outcome because, frankly, I'm a rebel. I've had a rebel spirit and rebellion. I, understand, I hear Samuel saying to the Israelites, rebellion is like the spirit of witchcraft. If you get into rebelling, if you are rebelling, it's certainly rebelling against God. But the problem is when we rebel, we often rebel not just against one thing. We, re we get in a, a way of rebelling. We have a feeling that we can rebel. And we rebel against other people. We're doing things we don't like. We rebel against the law in small, minor ways because we don't do it in major ways because that says something about us. 
and we, we become rebellious. And rebellion is like the spirit of witchcraft. But I don't want to be that. I don't want to practice the, uh, something that's the spirit of witchcraft, but at the same sense inside me is a, 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 I want to rebel. Does it? Does it really work this way? Revelation 21.8 says, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's the way it ends. You can, you can like it or not, but that's the way it ends. People go to hell and burn in hell for an eternity because of their identity outside of Christ. The judgment began in earnest when Jesus came. Malachi pointed to it. We talked about that on Tuesday night in our Bible study uh, last couple weeks. Malachi pointed to it. And when Jesus came, the judgment began. Jesus said he, Jesus did not come to condemn. He didn't come to judge people. But they were condemned already by what they had done with the Son of God. John 3. The judgment began when Jesus came. Now you choose. Kingdom of God, kingdom of Satan. We're back to last week's sermon. The bottom line is, these people are going to spend eternity in hell separated from God because the identity that they have chosen, at least in Revelation 21, is abominable, a murderer, which means if you have anger in your heart toward a brother, immoral persons, right? Immoral, that's a broad category. Sorcerers, idolaters, liars. Their part will be in a lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And they don't get to come back out. <laughs> it's a predetermined outcome, and I don't like it. But, but, there are three buts here. You know what a but is, right? It's a rebellion. It's a fighting back. I'm done, I got nothing left. One more. I can't take this. But I'm going to do what I got to do. He's really messing with my head, but I'm not going to let him get to me. Right? It's a rebellion. A but is a rebellion. And so that part of me that wants to rebel against this predetermined outcome for people to go where I don't want them to go, it's God pre-programmed that too. God gave us the way to rebel. There are three buts. First one says, but you were washed. Second one says, but you were sanctified, which means set apart, made holy. And the third one says, you were justified, you were declared innocent in Christ Jesus and God's Holy Spirit. We'll break those down as part of the second point. First point I want you to see in the text then today is that this, these verses are the supreme equalizer between people. They are the supreme equalizer between people. God can do for others what he has done for you. There is no place for arrogance, no place for treating people as second rate. Doesn't matter what they look like, how they behave, they can be in your face acting like complete idiots, and there is no place for treating them like second rate. You don't get to completely dismiss them. You can excuse yourself in their presence. You do not have to put up with being mistreated. But you don't get to completely dismiss them. God did not completely dismiss you when you treated God that way, and therefore you don't get to completely dismiss others when they treat you that way. Jesus, when treated that way, prayed, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's exactly what we should do. That's the model, the example that we should have. When people treat us badly, 
We should be inside our hearts having this attitude which was in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2. We should realize that he submitted himself even to death, to death on a cross. And we should have that attitude, the same that he has. And say, look, they're treating me bad, but the truth is, they're ignorant. They're stupid. They don't know. And then at the same breath, you should say, and so was I. This is the supreme equalizer between people. There is no place for treating people, even immoral, abominable people, even people who would make this list, there is no reason to treat them as second rate. Regardless of their wealth, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their age, regardless of their background, regardless of how they have behaved themselves. Because God did it for you, not you. You didn't do it. Paul writes over in Colossians 2.6, he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. I get that. We're supposed to be somebody different and new. We'll look briefly at that before we're through. But in that same chapter, he goes on to say, in Colossians 2.24, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Look at who Jesus is and what he wants. What does he want? He wants to be reconciled with all men. What are we supposed to be about and doing? Reconciling people. Suffering, if necessary, like he suffered to make that happen. And then in 1 Corinthians, same, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 6, he had written, now, no, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake. Two different leaders in the church, if you will, Paul and Apollos. So that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that, which means don't make something sin that's not sin, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, if God did this for you, if your cleansing, if your salvation, and all the things we're going to talk about in a moment, if that is all done by Jesus and God as his Holy Spirit, if they're the ones who did that for you, then how can you look down on somebody else who has not yet gotten that? Why do you boast? Oh, I'm there. Oh, I'm, I can't stand that. Oh, that, that sin is too much for me to bear. Why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. See, he was challenging them, saying, You're so almighty. You're so high and proud and arrogant in comparison to lost people who are acting stupidly, ignorantly, they act out of, their, out of their ignorance. We are asked to act out of what we know. And in acting out of what we know, we should realize they have not yet received that which we have received and treat them accordingly. But that's not what people do. They look at people who are being stupid or doing wrong. They look at thieves and, and other people who are on these lists that I read to you. It could be homosexuals or it could be sorcerers or idolaters or could be covetous people who want something and they're striving for it. They work all the time because they're trying to get it or, or they, they thieve because they're trying to get it or whatever. They look at those people and they think, well, I'm so much better off than them. I'm so much better than they are. And he says to people who do that, you've already become rich. I submit to you that if you've already become rich, you don't actually need to be made rich by God. Which is what God will do with us in the afterlife. He says, you've already become kings. I submit to you that if you've already become a king in this life, you don't need to be a king in heaven. 
You don't need God to elevate your position because you're already doing great. Everybody else is all screwed up and you're fine. He says, indeed, I wish you had become king so we also might reign with you. Paul, remember a couple weeks ago we read about Paul, they were taking cloths from his body, a piece of apron, people were taking the people and he was being miraculous, they were being miraculously healed. Paul says, I wish that you had become what you say you are, what you think you are, so that we also might do it alongside of you. No. That's not Christianity. Christianity is based in these verses and others like them that show us that the supreme equalizer between people is that we all need God to do something that we cannot do for ourselves. And then we begin to live as his love on this earth and he uses us to do for them what he used someone else to do for us. People are equal not because they are the same. We're not equal because we're the same or because same skin color or social class or got the same job. We're not equal because of that. We're not equal because we're both men or we're both women. That doesn't make us equal. We're equal because of a few things like number one, that we're all unique. Everybody is unique. Everybody has their own struggles, their own problems, etc. Number two, we're equal because God is the only one who can save us. And it's true for everybody. God created us all. And he's the only one who can save us and take us to heaven. We're equal because Jesus died for all of us. And people who start to say somebody else is worse than them, they miss the fact that these verses and others like them are the supreme equalizer between people. It goes one step further, I'll just mention this and then we'll move on. You also don't get to say somebody else is better than you. You also don't get to live in your beat up self-esteem and feel how messed up you are, etc. You actually have to rely on God when that happens and let him lift you up. Because he is the one who sets your identity. A person who has damaged self-esteem and says, I'm no good, even though they're a Christian, is actually a swindler. They're after something. They're out to get something. In Christ, you are new. The supreme equalizer between people. The second and final point before the conclusion is that these verses are the supreme equalizer of the past and the future. Your past and your future become all about what he did, not about what you did. Right? Your past and your future become all about what he did. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard piece of people's testimony. And their testimony is, I was a dirtbag and I did this and I did that and I had all these problems and then I accepted Christ and now my life is good. You'd be better off to say, talk about what God did. If you're trying to urge somebody to accept Christ, you accepting Christ doesn't really compel them to do anything unless they're going to worship you and recognize how awesome you are and how smart you are and how much better your life is now. Really, what we ought to be talking about is what God did and we're about to. Your past and your future become all about what he did. It's not about what you did. You must give him the proper credit and live according to who you now are. You are a growing believer. And you will be a growing believer until you take your last breath, if indeed you are a believer at all. You have been saved from your past. This is your present tense. 
You're actively living for God. The present tense versus the past tense. In the past, you were. Maybe you were an idolater. Maybe you were covetous. You wanted other things that other people didn't have. Maybe you were a swindler. You're trying to get ahead without really doing the work that's necessary, without really submitting yourself to God, which is no work at all. It's the opposite. In the past you were, in the past you did, but if your butts are properly aligned, your seat is different. You're no longer any of those things. Even if you might slip once and do something that would fall into that category, you can no longer get the identity of that category. You might catch yourself doing it and have to submit yourself to God again for his power to cleanse you and put you back on the right path. In the past, you did. But if your butts are properly aligned, the past has now become what he did. That's what it means when it says all old things passed away, all things became new. That's what it means when he says, when he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You literally had a second birth. So when you first got born, you had to learn how to eat, you had to learn how to walk, you had to learn how to talk, you had to learn how to clothe yourself, you had to learn how to potty train, right? You got to learn that what way a truck goes, you pull it back and let it go and it runs forward, everything. And systematically, you worked up to being an adult. And then hopefully, at some point in time in your, your uh, young life or adult life, or be, at least between then and now, you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He became Lord of your life. And when that happened, you were supposed to learn everything over again. Because you were born again. You're supposed to think of everything in a new light. Everything is different now. If you can honestly say about yourself, before I got saved, I had this problem. And now, I've been saved for X years, and the problem is identical to what it was before. You ought to ask yourself a question about your salvation. You should be wondering if your butts have come together or not. You were messed up, and now you are washed, sanctified, which means set apart as holy, and declared innocent in Christ Jesus. I gotta talk about wash for a second. Because your mind's gotta go to baptism, right? Um, you remember, remember Saul? Persecuting Christians, beating people up all the time, taking their lands, all that kind of stuff. Remember what happened to him on the road to Damascus? On the road to Damascus, he was blinded. And he knew it was Jesus. And he heard Jesus talking to him. Had some actual conversation kind of with, with the Lord. And he winds up straight street there, blind. Blind for something like three days. Ananias, a, a believer, is asked to go to him and to heal him. And he's like, oh, that's the guy that persecutes the church. He's, he put me to death. And God says, just go. I'm paraphrasing, of course. He says to Saul, in the end, tells him the commission that God had given for him, and he says, now get up and go and wash so that your, and your sins, he says, go and wash, and your sins will be removed. Flipping there, if I have my reference right in my head.
You will be a witness to all men. Verse 15. God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will. And he said, get up, go and wash, and your sins will be forgiven. Depending on your translation and exactly how it comes down. That's baptism. He knew it was baptism. So does baptism wash away your sins? I hope you know the answer to this. It doesn't, does it? This word here where it says, you're washed in Jesus, you're washed in the Holy Spirit, which is what we're studying today. It was talking about baptism washing away his sins. But it was talking about washing. It literally means to go and be washed, to get, to get wet, to have your dirt washed off. One time when I was uh, very little, my parents decided they were going to take us to church. We'd never been to church. I was kind of excited about the opportunity. And uh, my mom uh, knew it was our first day there, and so she dressed me up. I had my little tie on, the clip on, and just about to my belly button, short sleeve shirt, belt, which I didn't wear a belt very many days. It was probably it was maybe the 15th time I'd ever worn a belt in my life. And I had some little toys tucked in my pocket, you know, in case it got boring, but whatever. And when we were totally ready, my mom said, why don't you go stand by the car? I said, my brother, go stand by the car. Your dad and I will be out shortly and we'll go to church. Uh, since then, I stopped going to church, started becoming a church. But that, that was the words we used back then. So it was muddy outside. By the time my parents came outside, we were, you know, we were all cleaned up, ready to go to church. By the time my parents came outside, which they, I don't know what they were doing. It took like, seemed like an eternity for me. Uh, but it was probably only about 15 minutes or so. By the time they come out, we were all dirty. <laughs> My mom said, what are you doing? I had you all cleaned up. She could clearly see right on the surface. There was all the dirt. We, our clothes were dirty. She marched us back in the house and cleaned us up again. To be washed is to be cleaned up on the surface. So when you go through with baptism or when you profess your sin out loud to people and, and say you're going to quit, people go, oh, okay, awesome. Progress is being made. I see this person's happening here. So at baptism, while baptism does not wash away your sins, oftentimes at baptism, Jesus is cleansing them. The Holy Spirit is cleansing them. There is an outside cleansing. I'm putting that off. I'm done with that. I see now that so-and-so has become a different person. Washed. That's but number one. But you were washed. Second but, set apart, sanctified. To be sanctified is hagias. It comes from the holy. The word means holy. Saints are holy. We're all holy because we were sanctified. God set us apart to be holy. And Ephesians 2 says it this way. He set aside some works for us to get busy doing. Right? So there are things that we're supposed to do. Now we're, we have a job to do. We are cleansed in Christ and then set apart to do the work. Anybody here have a collection of tools at their house, maybe? I've been horrible about tools throughout my life. I cannot tell you the number of times that I've left my pipe wrench laying outside. Anyone knows what happened to a pipe wrench? What happens to a pipe wrench when you leave it laying outside? It rusts. And then you try to use it. Now, here, here's me spraying WD-40 on the pipe wrench and trying to get it to work again. And I buy a new pipe wrench. And a few years later, you know, I'm out in the mud, the rain, and it's nasty, and I'm trying to fix a pipe outside and get, get the snake down the drain or whatever, and I leave the pipe wrench laying outside, and it does it again. Rusty, nasty, useless. Right? I can clean that up. 
I can scrape off all the rust. I can oil it, make it ready to go again. And I will look at that pipe wrench and I'll say, it's ready to go. But if I don't set it apart, if I don't put it somewhere where I can find it, I may as well not own it. If I don't put it in the toolbox or if I don't take care of it after that, I may as well not own it. That's what God does for us. He takes care of us. He sets us apart. He marks us out for duty. People will say, I'm going to live for the Lord. And they get baptized. And then they ought to be going, okay, what am I set apart for? What is God going to use me for? What does holiness look like for me? Right? That's the second but. And it says, it, for them who used to be some of these things, they rebelled against those things, and they were washed in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. And they were set apart in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. And then the last one says, you were justified. And to be justified is your innocence was declared in Christ Jesus and God's Holy Spirit. So in other words, in Christ, and because of the effect, the cleansing effect of God's Holy Spirit, you're no longer guilty. You are not an idolater. You were, but now you're not. You're not covetous. You were, but now you're not. Right? So God says, done. Jesus paid for it. Your sins are cleansed. Done. Notice then how regularly people fall back. In Ephesians 2, Paul is talking before he gets to 8, 9, and 10. He talks about being saved by grace and faith. He's talking about us being objects of wrath. This is what we were. So we, we were idolaters and swindlers and homosexuals and all those things. We were those things, and we were objects of his wrath, which means he opposed us. Wrath doesn't mean God was ticked off at you. It means he opposed us. And then that's what the lake of fire is like. He opposed us. So we were rebels, but we were rebels against God. And God has now, if you have been saved, he has washed you, set you apart, and declared you innocent so that you can be a rebel against God. The enemy, a rebel against who you were. Jesus was a rebel. Jesus came to rebel against the world system. He came to rebel against the false religion that Judaism had become. He came to rebel against the governmental systems that were oppressing people. You know, every citizen that wasn't a Roman citizen was basically a slave. If you were walking down the road and a Roman centurion ran into you, he could tell you to do whatever, and you literally had to do whatever he told you to do. There was no command that you did not have to follow. Everybody was a slave. And Jesus came to set everybody free. And you don't set everybody free by overthrowing a government or by voting on a certain law or starting a petition. You set everybody free by introducing them to the God of the universe and they become washed, cleaned on the outside, set apart for duty, and justified, made innocent. What happened? Because if you're missing just one but, look what happens. If you're missing washed, then when, you, when people look at you, they see you don't look like a Christian, and they don't want to listen to you. So you miss out on the ministry of reconciliation because they don't want to follow. Or worse, they follow you as an unwashed believer and don't become saved even though they profess to be saved. Either way, you're screwed up. You don't have what he offers, the three bucks. You just have, maybe you're set apart for holy work, but you're not doing the holy work. You're not doing what God would have you to do. So you might look good on the outside, but you're not doing what God would have you to do. You're declared as innocent because you did believe and you said you would follow God, but 
look how messed up it is not to be doing the things that God would have you to do. You're not growing. You're not strength. When, you, when I do what God tells me to do, I get a little pat on the back from the Holy Spirit, and I feel strong. I feel encouraged. I feel like I'm going the right way. I've been at the absolute end of my rope, ready to quit as a pastor. Can't tell you the number of times that's happened in the last 20 years. And then I just do what it is that I'm supposed to do, and God fills me up again. And I can go again, and I can do again, and I don't have to wonder whether I'm going to quit again. You need to do what you were set apart to do. You need to be set apart in Christ and then follow through with that. And then justified, found as innocent. We need to recognize our innocence is not our own. So if you're arrogant about your innocence, it's not that way. You're not innocent because you were good or because you accepted Jesus or even because you believed. The demons believe. They know who Jesus was now. Right? So we, we, not because we believe. But because we have the three buts. We were washed, set apart, and justified. Right? Now there's more that comes after that. I understand walking out the road. But this is him saying, those people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You are not like them. Which is a supreme equalizer between people because you realize you were like them. But now you are not like them. So now we need to ask them to rebel with us. Rebel against that. You don't have to go to the lake of fire. You can spend eternity in heaven with God if you will trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and believe that God raised him from the dead. That's our job. What am I asking you? What is he asking us? He's asking us to rebel just the same as we might want to do. Instead of rebelling against minor laws or rules or, or slipping by under the radar and doing things that we shouldn't do, we got to rebel big. There should be flash in the pan. Everything should be changed. Philippians 3, 8 to 9, Paul writes this. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them but rubbish. Everything that I have lost. And I submit to you everything that you ever could lose when you worry about losing something in the future. You're looking at the wrong thing. You should be looking at what he has done. Count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Look to God for cleansing. Look to God for duty. Look to God for righteousness. And let everything else go. 1 Corinthians 1.25 says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. I just want to say to you, I was not wise according to the flesh, nor was I mighty, nor was I noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised despise God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written let him who boasts boast in the Lord if you have been washed you cannot now be made unclean Screw up. You shouldn't. You can. You realize that 
Wash is a funny word. Have you ever washed your dishes? Sure you have, right? Unless you eat off all like styrofoam and paper, right? You washed them. Then did you eat off them? And when you ate off them, did they get dirty? And then what did you do? Unless there was something wrong with them, or you bought new or whatever, you washed them again, right? This word, washed, cleaning us on the outside, God is doing it over and over and over again. Makes me wonder, this word set apart, God setting us apart to do what he would have us to do, is he doing that over and over and over again from the moment that he, well, you've heard of progressive sanctification, right? You've heard of reaching new heights in Jesus, right? Over and over again, figuring out now what's new, what's new, what God wants to do, what am I supposed to do, what am, where am I supposed to go from here? That's our job. We answer to God now. He is Lord. That's what it means when we say he is Lord. He's declaring us righteous. Well, if you've fallen back into idolatry, I guarantee you, you're grateful that he's still willing to declare you righteous. If you've fallen into covetous nature or adulterous nature, you've done things, and then you come back to him and you said, God, forgive me again. God, use me again. God, help me. God, walk with me. I know that you're grateful that he is willing to justify you again daily in Christ. Because your past, your present, and your future are all wrapped up in your present. What do you say now? Who are you now? Are you washed? Are you sanctified? Are you justified? If so, then you can no longer be those things. But there are people who claim to be those things, and yet they go backwards. Like a dog that returns to their vomit, the pig that again wallows in the mud. And they get all dirty and they get all nasty. And nobody really wants a lick from a dog that just ate his own puke. Right? Nobody wants to play with the pig that just rolled in the mud again. We are not like that. We are not supposed to be like that. When people look at you, you should see, they should see Jesus. Romans 12 says this. Let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, don't fake it. Actually love. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. That means work your butt off. Fervent in spirit. That means let's get excited about what we're doing. Let's burn hot on the inside to do what God would have us to do. Serving the Lord rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own re revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I ask you today, 
are your three butts in the right place? I'm not saying that you should be a hypocrite and pretend to love people, but your outside is going to be ugly if your inside isn't the love that God has ordained for you. You need to do that. You need to care about it. When you see somebody that's doing something wrong, most of us, I'm just being transparent, most of us get mad at the person who's doing wrong, don't we? When somebody disrespects you, talks to you all nasty, I was, uh, Thursday, Ariana and I were at Henderson Manors where we stayed when uh, we went to Sherry out of town. I worked all day Wednesday and then Thursday on my Sabbath, Ariana and I swam and went to the beach. And coming through the store, the door, she go in and out, and there was a mother, and she was coming out, she had two or three kids with her, and she had about a nine-year-old boy who was with her, and he seemed like a kind of wily rascal. He seemed like he might have been a handful at times. And, um... But, he, but at that moment, he was going out the door like he was supposed to. She told him to go out the door or whatever. And she snapped at him and she said, I told you, go out the door. Will you go out the door? Because he wasn't quite going fast enough for her. He had irritated her. And maybe he had been lagging behind before or whatever, but he was at the door and going out the door when she said it. And he looked at her. Now, I, I said, he looked like kind of a wily rascal. He could have been rough to handle, right? But he didn't say nastiness to her. He didn't say anything back to her. You know what he said? He said, why are you yelling at me? Is that not infinite wisdom from a 9 or 10-year-old? The next time somebody's yelling at you, the next time somebody's all upset or using a lot of cuss words, could we not say, why are you yelling? Why are you upset? Or, how can I help you? Clearly you're upset. There was a lady yesterday at, at Ashland who was quite verbally abusive, it was short, but it was quite verbally abusive to me because she hadn't signed up for a delivery and so I didn't bring her a delivery and she said she needed the community and she needed the food and I should have bought her a delivery even though she didn't sign up for one and she was kind of upset and I said, and she was wearing a mask that says God is good, by the way, it's interesting. Anyway, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm trying to help you. How can I help you? Trying to help you. And right away she said, I I'm, I'm sorry, you're right. You are trying to help me. Well, this is what the situation is. And, I, and she said, I need to know going forward what I can do to make sure this doesn't happen. And I said, okay, well, here's what you can do. We sent you a text and asked you whether you want a delivery. If you reply yes, then you'll get a delivery when we come. In the meantime, if you can hang around for a little bit, if I have the extra meat or something, I might be able to help you today. So she did. She hung around. At the end, I was able to give her... Actually, I was able to give her a full delivery. I gave her a bag of delivery and a bag of meat. And I put it down on the list as if she had gotten delivered because I knew it didn't show up. But I could have gotten defensive. I could have said, hey, don't talk to me that way. There's a lot of different things I could have done. All I had to do was show a little bit of attitude, and it would have probably been like blood in the water, and she really would have been on me. Then I come home, and there's a pastor on Facebook and it happened to come up in my feed. I don't know if I, I don't think I know the man, but he probably knows somebody I know or whatever. And he's on there railing about masks. And he put a 15-minute video about him going to Dunkin' Donuts and how they had told him he needed to wear a mask. And he had got, he was out of town, not at his own Dunkin' Donuts, but he'd gone there three, four days in a row and they never asked him to wear a mask. And now they're asking him to wear a mask because it became a mandate by the government the night before. And he's like, it's no mandate. It's not. And he is railing, preaching is what he's doing against the way Dunkin' Donuts handled the situation. A Christian pastor 
And then I look at the bottom of his screen. You know how many followers he's got on Facebook? Like a hundred thousand and a million people that watch that video. Listen to me. Practice love without hypocrisy means when somebody's doing something stupid, we need to remember that these verses are the supreme equalizer. If you are washed, set apart, and justified by the God of the universe through Jesus' his Son and His Holy Spirit, then your responses should be seasoned responses. You answer with grace, seasoned with salt. You gotta be right by God. So you don't just jump in and throw a bunch of cuss words around because that's who you're hanging out with or whatever, but you do come into the situation with love. I think sometimes we fail to take care of one another. I think sometimes we fail to stand up for one another. And that's why when we look at the world sometimes we cannot believe that some people who are doing so well or, or, or seem to be so nice or whatever could ever go to the lake of burning fire. But they will, unless they've been washed, unless they've been set apart, unless they've been declared innocent by Jesus Christ and God's Holy Spirit. If you have not, if you are still one of those things, I'm sorry to tell you that that is your end destination. You can rebel against it in your own strength all day long, but that was predetermined fact was not set by me and it was not set by you, and you will not overcome it except to rebel against Satan or rebel against the world system and accept Jesus Christ. So what am I asking? I'm asking you to rebel. I'm asking you to no longer be an idolater, no longer be a thief, no longer be covetous, no longer be a drunkard, no longer be a swindler, no longer be effeminate, no longer be a homosexual, no longer be a fornicator, no longer be deceived. Do not be deceived. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of us. And maybe you are today. And you would accept the washing. And you would accept the sanctification. And you would accept the justification. And you can no longer be. And be born again. Next time you're in a situation and somebody doesn't have one of their butts in the seat, don't judge them. Witness to them. Love on them. Encourage them. You don't have to die on that particular cross if they're an atheist and they just won't accept what you have to say. You can move on and talk to somebody else. But you are required by God to make some kind of an attempt. Or otherwise, you're not washed. You're not set apart. And then that's two butts out of the seat already, and I would, I would hazard to say you might have a third one out as well. But if you can remember who you are and to whom you belong and what has been done to you, and look at your past and your future in the light of what God has done, then in those situations, which will be as difficult as they can be, you will do, simply put, what he would have you do. Let's pray together. God in heaven, I don't, I don't pray in the flesh, at least to try not to. You know better than I do whether I have. But the truth is I have walked in the flesh, I have embraced the flesh, and at times I have I've been disrespectful or rebelled against you system that you set up. I know you don't, you're able to send people to hell, but you really don't send people to hell. They go of their own choices because they want to go. 
because they want to be separate from you. And that really is the only other destination. Ultimately, there will be only the new heaven and the new earth, which you will have prepared for us, and we're excited to be there one day, experience it firsthand. Would you please, Lord, give us the strength to count all as rubbish, count all as worthy of losing in exchange for that end destination, for the kingdom of God, which you have already ordained, that those who believe and trust in the Lord cry out to you that we would not be put to shame, that we would not be separated from you. Unfortunately, in the world that we live in today, there is a deceiver. Been that way for a long time. There are alternatives to Christianity and some of them exist inside what we would call Christianity. The, church, the government of the United States recognizes people that call themselves churches, and they say that that's an offshoot of Christianity, or that's an offshoot of Christianity, when in truth, what they believe and teach has little or nothing to do with what you would desire, little or nothing to do with the Lordship of Christ. Sometimes they have much larger crowds, sometimes they have much bigger platform to speak and to teach, they wind up on The Tonight Show saying what God would say about X. The truth is they have no ability to speak for you because they themselves are not washed, set apart, or justified, seen as innocent. But we don't judge them. That's not our job. That's your job. But we also know we're not supposed to follow them. We want to follow you. Help us to keep our butts in the seat. Help us to remember when we look back that we were made new, made different, born again, and that some of the struggles that we're having right now might be us trying to figure out how to deal with something that we didn't see coming. And we ought to just ask you for the wisdom. We know that your word is a light unto our path, and so we ought to be studying it, we ought to be learning it, we ought to be growing being here, hearing from it, that's one step. Coming to Bible study or doing a Bible study with folks, that's another step that people take. But neither of those things in and of themselves indicates a love for you or desire to know what you have to say. It takes us putting our eyes and really our heart on the page of your word. Lord, help our body love without hypocrisy. Help our body overcome evil with good. Help our body be the body of Jesus Christ outreaching, standing firm in the day of evil, overcoming the real enemies, evil spirits and temptations, and even, even tribulations, I think, although that's a little bit of a stretch. Sometimes those tribulations, they're not our enemy. They build us up. Lord, help us be the church that the United States of America, that Ohio, that Toledo, that our neighborhood, our city needs. Help us call people who are half-living for Jesus, 
to recognize that either they have been washed, set apart, justified, or they haven't. And if they haven't, I imagine, Lord, if they think they have and they suddenly realize they haven't, that in that very moment they will turn their lives over to you. Help us to realize that a lot of times that a lot of the, the things that people are doing, they do it because they're ignorant. Whose job was it anyway to inform them? I guess it's ours. And every time we set about to do that, Lord, watch over us and keep us clean and clear-headed so that we can speak the things that need to be spoken. And help people to learn to live for you, beginning with each of our hearts submitted to you. Help us, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name.